Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Desgupta, a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Hi, and welcome back to The Dr. Raj Show. I'm excited to end our interview with part two. Let's get started. And, and so you mentioned, uh, you know, seeing patients in, in both settings. Um, what would you recommend for somebody uh, if, if they get COVID-19 when should they seek medical assistance? What signs should they look out for? And maybe take us through that, that type of experience of, you know, going to the hospital or seeking care in the home. Yeah. So there, I mean, this, there's different prongs to this answer. So, you know, now more than ever being a lung doctor that, you know, all my patients with this outbreak, just skyrocketing, they've been asking me all the time. I think I got symptoms. I'm positive. What should I do? Where should I go? And, you know, I would put it this way. Well, the first safest thing to do, because there are individuals who had a high risk exposure and there are people who test positive and that's kind of a little bit different. You know, I think the minute you are, you suspect yourself for having a high risk exposure and you're scared to get tested, but you had a high risk exposure, you know, my answer stay at home, isolate, quarantine, you got to quarantine, you know, and the question now becomes, well, Dr. Raj, how long do I quarantine? If I had a high risk exposure? Uh, is it is it 14 days? Is it 10 days? Is it seven days? And I think this is one of the problems during the pandemic as a whole, is that it's confusing. Isn't it guys? Isn't it girls? Isn't it confusing? There's so many different guidelines. And you know, the CDC are saying, 14 days, but it could be 10 if you decide to get tested afterwards. But usually a test comes back in two days and it's 12 days. Why not stay for the full 14? So there's so many different things. So my advice to keep it simple, if you have a high risk exposure, just stay at home for the 14 days, which is what I call the gold standard. If you uh, test positive, well, it really depends upon your duration of symptoms. When were you symptomatic? When were you not symptomatic? Because if you stay at home for 14 days and you're still having fevers on day 12, don't leave quarantine. That sounds like a horrible idea. So this is where you have to get your healthcare professional on board and let him or her know that, hey, I tested positive. I'm still having extended symptoms. How long should I be isolated? How long should I stay in quarantine? Now we're talking about symptoms and what should I do? So if someone comes in and you test positive and you're just having mild symptoms, if you're just having mild symptoms, you know what I'm going to say, crowd. What am I going to say? Stay home. That, that's the jam right there. It's going to be protect yourself, protect others, stay well hydrated. You know what I mean? Do the simple things because you're going to be asymptomatic or mild symptoms. And that's what most people are. Their mild symptoms are asymptomatic, you know? Now, if you're at the point to like, you know what, Raj, I think I'm a little short of breath. I'm not sure. It could be anxiety. It could be other things. What do I do? Well, the first thing you do is contact your healthcare provider because many of them are going to give you suggestions if their healthcare system is associated with uh, an emergency department or some kind of setup like a tent that's going to be outside where they help triage. So I would always contact your provider. So let me talk about what happens here at USC. 
if you come to USC and you have mild symptoms, we have a, an area tent set up outside where we'll decide that, you know what, you have mild symptoms, you don't need to get admitted, but right now there is an FDA approved monoclonal antibody. Now, this is what I talked about when we talk about passive immunity. So monoclonal antibody is a one-time infusion, one time. And we're giving you antibodies against COVID-19, against novel coronavirus. And it only got FDA approval for people with mild symptoms who are not on oxygen. And so what we do is if you go to the ETC, uh, which is what the emergency therapy center, that's letters we use here at USC, we'll give you the infusion and maybe send you home. Or right now in my office, we have it arranged where we could send uh, individuals to your house to give you that antibody. Now, I don't know if this is going to apply to everyone around the country because of insurance, availability, so many things. But that's when we use the antibody, not on oxygen, mild symptoms going home. If you get admitted to the hospital, you don't get to see me yet. You don't get to see me until you go to the ICU. If you're on a regular medical floor, and if you're acquiring low levels of oxygen, you may have like a, a COVID pneumonia because they shot an x-ray. There is one FDA approved drug that we may consider giving you, and it's called remdesivir. Now, remdesivir is an antiviral medication made by Gilead Pharmaceuticals, and its claim to fame is not reducing mortality, improving survival, but it improves your symptoms. And it's given through the IV. We give it for five days. And the contraindications, don't you love, I always give the whole, with renal failure. So you don't give it people with renal failure. You got to watch for your liver enzymes. So it's an inpatient drug because we got to monitor these labs when you're in. So you're going to get remdesivir. Let's say that you get worse. And they first put you on the regular floor, and then all of a sudden your oxygen saturation starts going down, you're feeling more short of breath, you require more oxygen or different ways to help you breathe, then you see Dr. Raj. Never see Dr. Raj. It's never good. Uh, because that means you're going to move into an ICU setting. And when you're in that level of oxygen requirements, or if I put you on the vent, which I never want to do, um, then the best medication to give is steroids. Now, before I used to just say what the best steroid is, which is dexamethasone. Uh, reason why there was a study in the UK that showed that in patients on ventilators and requiring oxygen, it reduced mortality. But there are smaller studies now showing that different names of steroids, solumedrol, prednisone. They're studying to see if any steroid can be given at even higher doses. So those are things you're going to get when you go to the medical ICU. And the last thing I'll say before I I'll and answer another question is the hottest topic right now in COVID treatment, which is this rheumatological drug called tocilizumab. Now, tocilizumab has a brother called sarilomab, and I probably hacked up the name over there, but both these drugs work against a protein called interleukin-6. Interleukin-6 is a protein that really revs up your immune system and gets the inflammation going. When we started using these interleukin-6 inhibitors in the beginning 
of the pandemic. Uh, we came out of the gates hard using it and data says, nah, they don't work. They're expensive. Forget about it. Then all of a sudden a study came out about a week ago. It's not a peer reviewed study, but it showed that in individuals who get this steroid and tocilizumab, that it may actually improve survival. It's not peer reviewed, but I could tell you that all of a sudden around the country, especially here in Southern California, where we're getting hit pretty bad, we are now approving this interleukin-6 inhibitor, tocilizumab, sirolizumab, uh, more than before in, in order to help you. So this is exactly how I view someone who gets COVID. Those are going to be your choices. Did that, 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 Sean, did that answer the question? I think it did. Very good. Thank you very much. As, as you know, many of our participants this evening have sarcoidosis. And uh, one question came in, understanding this disease hypes up the immune system in patients with sarcoidosis. The question is, does this give the patient an upper hand in fighting COVID-19? Oh, that's a great question. You know, you you, you would think so, just one-dimensionally. Right. The answer is no. You know what I mean? It's better not to have sarcoid. It's better not to have lupus or rheumatoid or any of these diseases. And the way I'm going to cascade my answer is going to be this. I mean, the number one question that people with sarcoid ask me or ask my wife, the rheumatologist, is, Dr. Raj, should you hold my medications? Should I hold that methotrexate? Should I hold the Imuran because of the fact that, you know what I mean? It's immunosuppressing me. And the answer is no, because we do those meds because we want to keep your inflammation low. We know that patients with sarcoid, you can get really inflamed. Those, let me say the word, non-caseating granulomas are in every single organ in the body. When they get really inflamed, they cause a lot of damage. So we want to keep your inflammation down by using those meds. And we know that if individuals with sarcoid or many rheumatological diseases, if they're not on their immunosuppressant medications, they will get really hit hard if they get infected with novel coronavirus. So the inflammation you're talking about doesn't help you. It hurts you, which means stay on your medications. Words for the wise. Yeah. Um, are there any statistics on how sarcoidosis patients who have contracted COVID-19 have fared and what were their treatment protocols? Oh, great question. So, you know, I, I kind of saw one of the questions just kind of uh, creep up on the Q&A and I'll kind of address that along with yours. So when we talk about sarcoid medications, the thing that would pop up was, oh, they stopped my meds. So it depends. So if someone does not have COVID-19, we keep them on the medications, medications, medications. If someone develops COVID-19, and I'll be telling you, I've had sarcoid patients got COVID-19. My wife's got many patients that, that develop COVID-19. Only then do we stop the meds. So there's no way you're going to convince me if you're sick. Yeah, just keep the methotrexate going. Oh, just keep the uh, Humira going. Keep the Remicade going. No, 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 no. If you're <laughs> infected, then we stop it, you know, but if you're not infected, keep it going. So hopefully that addressed that question. But, you know, I will tell you this is that my sarcoid patients, when they come to the hospital, I mean, the wonderful, beautiful thing about uh, our lung center at USC is that they will definitely contact my office. It contacts me. If not myself, my fellows, my residents, my team will see you. I always would say, if possible, I will try to stop the meds. Now, let me say this very, very clearly. There is one med that you cannot stop cold turkey. Does anyone take a guess what med that is? Prednisone steroids. 
I mean, you just can't be like, oh, I got COVID. I'm on non-prednisone every freaking day and boom, stop. You'll die. <laughs> you just can't cold turkey prednisone, you know? And the reason why I'm joking about it and laughing about it because I hear it all the time. You know, I mean, my wife tells me, so I, I got to make sure when I say stop the meds, I mean these other cytotoxic meds. So what happens is when you come to the, the hospital, if you're on other cytotoxic meds, I definitely would hold that. And I use the same algorithm. I treat my sarcoid patients the exact same way. Number one, don't get admitted. Don't get admitted. Try to stay at home. I, I definitely have used the monoclonal antibody in my patients who didn't require oxygen when they go home. And you know what? It, no side effects, no bad feelings, and it makes them feel a little bit better. If they get admitted to the hospital, I watch them carefully. I put them on oxygen, not to keep them up to 100%, because one thing that we learned about COVID patients, your oxygen saturation does not have to be 100% on your pulse ox. If, if that's what you're being told, I'm not ripping on other people, but that's just wrong information. Most of my COVID patients, regardless of where they are, ICU or just floor, I'm happy when you're hanging out around the low 90s. You don't have to be 100%. You know, if you're symptomatic and low, that's another story, but you don't need to be 100%. Um, if they're on the floor, I have used remdesivir in these patients. You know, I, I think it kind of works okay. The reason why I say think is because it's not a drug that you get infused with and like, yeah, thank you. This works great. It, it's claimed the fame is that it reduces duration of symptoms and it's not really a, a feel good type medication. Um, and then of course, the worst part is maybe a few end up in the ICU. And, you know, so far I've had it, I didn't have to intubate, put any of my sarcoid patients on ventilators, but that's always the day I fear. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Is there any is there anything you can tell us on the, the latest with the COVID-19 testing? Are the home tests reliable? How should we approach that? Yeah. So, I mean, this goes back to you. We could go back in time or after this pandemic and see what were some of the do's and don'ts. The biggest thing is I think it's been really confusing for everyone and confusing for me and confusing for my patients terminologies we use, you know, I mean, such as the patient is um, asymptomatic. No, that's pre-symptomatic. Well, what does that mean? Uh, the testing. Uh, it's not as simple as saying testing anymore, right? Testing means, is it uh, an antibody? Is it an antigen? Is it going to be a PCR for the messenger RNA? I mean, it's it's so confusing. And, and I don't blame patients for not knowing what test to get because, you know, it's it's really not their job. But the way we present things, it's very confusing. So the answer is this, is that let's start on one side. If you were to put me in a corner and say, what is the gold standard diagnosis? It's shoving that stupid thing up your nose <laughs> and getting that <laughs> You know what I mean? It's it, You're looking for the messenger RNA of the virus. And you know, the problem with repeating that PCR once you're positive is because it can still remain positive for a very, very, very long period of time because the virus could be dead, but there could be parts of the virus, parts of the messenger RNA up in that nose. So we don't really retest based upon the messenger RNA no-shove. Then there are antigens. Now, antigens are part of the virus where we could create a test and say that that part of the virus is still in you per se. And antigens claim the fame is that you could test antigens in many, many different ways. You could shut up the nose, you could do saliva, you could do blood work, you could do all these things. And a lot of this home testing out there are looking for antigens. But of course, with any test, especially these antigen tests, 
that's what you just said, false positives, false negatives. And that's where you know, it, it, it causes more confusion, especially now that there are new guidelines that say that, remember, we talked about the asymptomatic person who's in quarantine for 14 days because of high risk exposure. If you take a test and it says it's negative, well, then you can go out in maybe 10 days. But once if it's a false negative, and if it's sure. a false negative, now you just in, go and infect more people. So it is true, whoever asked this question, that all these tests do have a false positive, false negative. There are so many different types of tests makes by many different manufacturers. It's not standardized. And this has been happening throughout the pandemic. This is not new. And then there was a test I, you know, I took a picture with if anyone follows me on Instagram, where it was an antibody test on a finger stick. And everyone, I didn't realize everyone thought how cool that was. But yeah, you know, now we're looking for the antibody. We don't check for antibodies for acute disease. Uh, if you want to know if you're actively infected, shove up your nose and get a messenger RNA. Antigens are kind of like the hot topic for home testing to see if you're going to be infected or not. But the antibody test seems to be really popular now because did the vaccine work? You know what I mean? And so what they made me do, I only talk about me. I was infected with COVID-19, me, I was, including my wife and my three kids in end of July, beginning of August. And when the vaccine came out in December, there was a rule at the time saying that if you have, if you were infected with COVID-19 and you have the antibody, you can't get the vaccine. So before I got the vaccine, they tested me and uh, I was negative. And that number one, it means that many people were asking how long do your antibodies last after you're infected? Some studies show six months. Now there's a few studies say eight months, man, I got infected in August my antibody went away in December, That's wow. like four or five months. Wow. So I was infected, it didn't protect me that long. But because I was negative, uh, I got the vaccine. And then they pricked me again uh, for the antibody after my second vaccine, like I told you, and voila, I'm making antibodies. So I think that this is going to be important in my rituximab patients. Remember, we we're talking about rituximab, where that drug blocks B cells from making antibodies. I think patients on rituximab, it'll be really, 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 really nice to know after you get the vaccine, are you making those antibodies? So that's where I think it's going to play out. Gotcha. Relating to that, Elizabeth had a question about a saliva test because college students are taking these. What's your sure. thought on that? Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, I know we're joking about shoving up the nose, but basically when, if you come to see me at USC and how do we test for gold center COVID-19, it is a combination of a buckle swab, which will actually take a um, Q-tip that will do the side of your mouth, take the same one. I'm not kidding you, shove it up your nose, and then you spit in a cup. So all three are, they're checking for the messenger RNA. I think the key thing is, what are you testing for? Those are not antigen tests. Those are looking for the messenger RNA, but they're trying to get everything around here. Saliva, buckle swab, up the nose. So I have nothing against that if they're checking for the messenger RNA. But some of those tests can check for antigen. You just need to ask your, your, your college what they're testing for. All the tests at the airport, these rapid antigen tests, that's what they're doing, rapid antigen. I don't believe they're doing checking for the messenger RNA. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. Makes sense. This is all making sense to me. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's great. I could see all these light bulbs kind of like, yeah, I got it, you know? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, Kathy has a question and sure. her question is with, with liver function testing high, is it still okay to get the COVID test? 
Oh, no, definitely. Definitely. You know, of course, you know, when you have, of course, the question is, why is the liver enzymes high? All these things factor in, you know, sure. but I will say that if you have elevated liver enzymes or liver disease or God forbid cirrhosis, definitely let your physicians know because there can be certain medications that you should definitely not be on at all. And by having liver damage, it really weakens your immune system, not just a little liver irritation, but if excuse me, you have liver disease, your liver is one of the biggest uh, makers of, you know, your immune system. So definitely individuals with cirrhosis are a higher risk. So to answer your question directly, no, uh, you could definitely, you could definitely get tested and you should definitely get the vaccine as much as anyone else, if not more. Gotcha. Thank you for that. Um, I think this was, this is probably one that would benefit everybody. And we'd, we'd love to know your opinion. If you could give any advice to sarcoidosis patients during this time, what would it be? Oh, wow. I would say now more than ever. And of course, you're asking the person who just loves my sarcoid patients more than anything in the whole world. I want all the sarcoid patients just to come together. I want them to really put their head down and power forward through these tough times. It sucks to be lonely. It stinks not to be able to play with your grandkids or to see your friends because my sarcoid patients come in all shapes and sizes and ages and it's hard. And some of my favorite sarcoid patients, and I do have favorites, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, they're at home wearing oxygen, they're older in age and uh, they just feel like no one's out there. And one of my favorite things to uh, help my sarcoid patients, there are groups, at least here in Southern California, that there are volunteer groups where they will call my patients just to say hello, just to drop things off. And I could try to give you some of the names of some of these websites here in Southern California that are just doing amazing, amazing things for free to help, you know, some of the older patients or patients who are really debilitated based upon their 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 problems to, to keep them engaged. So my, my wish is them to put your head down. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Be extra, extra cautious and you don't want to see me in the ICU, you don't want to be in the hospital, especially because not many people know sarcoid. And now you have a strange disease, COVID-19, that's always throwing curveballs. The admitting doctor's like, sarcoid, what's that? What do I do with these meds? What, what is this? What do you mean? So it's not easy when you go to a hospital and are not with a doctor that you're familiar with. So home is the best place. And of course, everyone's going to read my mind get vaccine, get vaccinated. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I wish. Yeah. It, uh, and I would echo what you're saying. It can be a depressing state to be able to go through that and think that you're by yourself and you're trying to manage through this disease. One of the things that we love at the Life and Breath Foundation is trying to make the connections and be there and be able to connect patients with other caregivers or or people, and, and sometimes you just need to listen, you know, and, and be there. So we're, we're definitely open. Uh, please reach out to the Life and Breath Foundation. Our website is www.lifeandbreath.org for more information. And, uh, and we'd love to be able to reach you. Dr. Raj, again, just a fantastic opportunity to share with you this evening. How, how is your family doing, by the way, and, uh, and the kids and everything as you finished up and navigated through 2020. <laughs> well, you know, Sean, thank you for asking. And we're, we're doing all, all right. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, my innate personality is always going to be positive. I can't help it. It's just who I am. But it's been tough for everyone. You know, me and Sean were talking behind the camera. Sean, how many kids do you have? Raj, how many kids do you have? 
I, I have three. I have a 18 month old. Her name is Sadie. I have a five year old. His name is Aiden and he has autism. Everyone he's special needs. And, you know, uh, it's been tough on him in particular because the fact that, you know, doing zoom chats and teaching an autistic kid this way, it's not easy. It's hard. And as a dad, I have to be patient and it may seem I'm patient over here during zoom chat, but you know, I get a little frustrated. I get home. <laughs> I want to take my shoes off and and watch the Laker game. Yay, Lakers. But uh, (laughs) I can't do that. There's a whole other job. And then there's homeschooling and all that falls on my my wonderful wife, who's also a doctor. So it's been really hard. But um, and I have my my seven-year-old, her name is Mina, and she just started getting into basketball. And of course, that's it. No more basketball yeah, for a while. Exactly. <laughs> no. So uh, it's been really hard. But uh, I will say this is that right now I'm working at Keck Hospital of USC, but lately I've been doing a lot in county hospital. And I am just so proud to work at county. They're just all the horror stories you hear, those wartime stories. That's what county is going through. And I'm just so proud of them. And who is them? It's not me, the doctor. It's the the nurses, the respiratory therapists, people who clean the room. No one ever gives them a shout out. You know what I mean? And um, I also want to make let everyone know that I have these amazing internal medicine residents who get paid absolutely nothing that are awesome. And of course, my pulmonary critical care fellows that I train, they're also amazing. But um, I don't know, Sean, I, I sense good things. I think that my, my crystal ball that always seems to be broken, if I take it out right now, I think if we do this conversation somewhere around June, July, I think we both will be smiling in a good way, not in a fake way. I, I do sense a couple of good things. <laughs> yeah, I, I would I would also agree with you. And, and I have that outlook that is thinking that 2021 is going to be much better than 2020. I'll keep smiling and, uh, <laughs> and look it forward. But I wanted to take this time to, again, thank you very much, Dr. Raj. We greatly appreciate you spending the time with uh, the Life and Breath Foundation and the many people that you support. And, uh, and the information is very timely regarding the vaccines and COVID-19. And we just we really appreciate the enormous amount of information that you've been able to share this evening it, it, it has been a, a situation that has been confusing a little bit. You've really cleared up a lot and uh, I've taken some notes and I'm sure some of the other people too, but we're going to, this has been recorded and we're going to share and we'd like to make sure that we can connect people to your podcast and take advantage of the just enormous amount of information you continually share that's very timely. Oh, thank you, Sean. And I'll just do my sign off on my side. Then we can say goodbye. everyone. Thank you for uh, being part of the live taping of the Dr. Rod show. I truly mean this was a special day, a special moment, a special hour. I hope everyone who likes the podcast watches this live video. I'm not joking. Uh, I'm smiling the whole time. And that's why Sean loves my hand motions and doing everything. And thank you, Sean. And thank you, Life and Breath Foundation, for letting my show be a part of your life. And uh, I can't wait for our next adventure together, Sean. I can't wait to do more with your pa- with your patients and your audience. Happy to be with you today. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. Uh, Dr. Raj, again, we appreciate it. Uh, this was a fantastic opportunity to spend with you again. I hope to, uh, to, to speak with you very soon and wish you nothing sure. but the best to you and your family. You're welcome. You know what, Tom, I'm not lying to you. I know we're not taping. I had a blast. That hour just yeah. boom. 
They really did. (laughs) (laughs) It really did. Well, thumbs up from all the uh, all the participants that are on the line and everything. And uh, we look forward to seeing you very soon and uh, stay safe and stay healthy. All right. Thanks, bud. Take care. All the best. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. The producers for this show are Christopher Breitigan and Madison Linden. The executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. <laughs>